0: This week on Peripod, I am joined by three-time Paralympian, Paralympic silver medalist, world and European champion, the amazing Ali Jawad. Ali competes in the sub-59 kilogram class, but don't let that number fail you. Ali can lift some serious weight when he wants to. We'll talk about that in a bit, but first I want to talk about what's just been announced here in the UK, another national lockdown. Ali, tell us your thoughts on that. How are you coping with it all? Um, well,
1: to be honest, it sounds weird, but um I've been kind of indirectly kind of isolating the last two years anyway with uh, my Crohn's and kind of what I've had to go through so actually for me I've, I've lucky I've got the tools to actually um, get through it quite easily because it's my reality on a daily basis so for me it hasn't really affected me that much.
0: Mm, yeah and you said uh, obviously you mentioned you've got Crohn's there and it was something that I, d- I definitely wanted to chat about and for people that don't know what Crohn's is can you elaborate on that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so so autoimmune disease where um, basically your immune system protects you, mine attacks me, gives me and it gives me loads of uh, disgusting, painful symptoms that um, if they're not treated and monitored, could be quite, could be quite, um, yeah, could be unspeakable uh, in terms of what can go wrong. Um, I've struggled well, I've struggled since I was nineteen with it, but um, the last two or three years has been probably the most intense.
0: Mm, because would I be right in saying it was sort of just around sort of Beijing 2008 time that you started obviously getting these symptoms and what, what did you think about it at that time I guess you have you, you thought maybe I'm just not feeling too good
1: yeah I think what I got I got sick the night before I competed in Beijing um, and I just thought well you've probably ate something dodgy because it is the village um, and it, you can catch you know because obviously you're, you're in a very kind of small environment and you've got loads of athletes there that you're mixing with and I just felt that I just must have caught something um but I also knew that um it wasn't just a head cold or a flu because I've you know for me I've, I've had them before and I've trained through them quite easily um this was much more serious because I was actually in pain so I knew something was wrong Then,
0: mm. and so I take it it was after you get home you know back into the UK that you obviously you know sought medical attention and did you get that diagnosis very quickly about Crohn's?
1: No so um came back, it took about nine months to diagnose. Um, in fact, they actually tested me for cancer first because I was losing weight. Oh. I they I lost like twenty-five kilo of body weight in in eight weeks. I was bedridden and um, it was yeah, it wasn't it was quite scary at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, twenty-five kilos is is, is a lot for anyone, but obviously for those that that maybe don't know your your story and your disability, you know, if you want to chat a little bit about what your disability and then you understand that losing twenty-five kilos from from your mass is it's just a tremendous amount of of, of weight to lose and, and just not good.
1: Yeah, so I was born with no legs. Um and obviously all my weight is actually up top, obviously. Um so at the time in Beijing I weighed about oh, probably about sixty eight kilo, sixty nine kilo. Um and then obviously coming back, I got down to about fifty in yes. about eight weeks. Yeah, I was I was I, was, I was a stick was Um yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, wasn't very nice.
0: <laughs> that's quite a lot isn't it that's quite a jump I mean and obviously you said that, that you know one of the first things the doctors test you for is cancer that must be terrifying
1: yeah it's kind of like you uh you get to a Paralympic games and you've kind of achieved your like childhood dreams in terms of competing at that level and then you know three weeks later you're kind of getting tested for cancer um I felt like it was I thought I thought it was a bad dream to be honest um yeah. and I obviously didn't get a diagnosis until nine months after I got back um they just didn't know what was wrong with me um until well I guess luckily um they kind of took my blood test and realized actually the inflammation levels are aligned to a lot of Crohn's and colitis sufferers and this wanted me to test for it and luckily um I got a diagnosis about nine months later but it was a very painful nine months
0: Mm, yeah and I I can imagine so I'm assuming for that nine months you probably weren't training very much at all or at all
1: i couldn't uh, i tried to um but obviously the, the body weight loss i couldn't eat anything i was always in pain uh, seeing blood in the toilet um i just yeah i just didn't have the physical attributes to actually even function let alone train um, and i thought actually my career was pretty much over um that nine months you kind you go to a you go through a very negative transformation um, mm. and, and yeah i'd lost about Probably about 45, 50 kilo on the bar. Wow. Yeah. So from being competitive to being normal, <laughs> uh, yeah. probably, probably worse than normal. Um, so, so, yeah, for, for me, it was, yeah, I just couldn't do anything.
0: And so, when did it start getting into this position where you were able to treat it and get, you know, get back training and, and lifting weights to the capacity that you can?
1: Oh, to be honest, it took about from being diagnosed, it didn't take, it took me until. Or oh, early 2012, um, for some well incredible reason, I, I think I got quite lucky in terms of my symptoms um, were stable. Uh, we didn't do anything different, but I managed to get five months of consistent training in out of the four years. So five months over the four years, it was nothing. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much retired in the in the London cycle because um, obviously it was Crohn's and also had the operation as well. Um, yeah, that that cycle was uh well, well just it was a roller coaster.
0: Yeah, and I mean, for, for for those listening that aren't aware, you know, you finished fourth in London, and as you said, to finish fourth in London, I understand as an athlete, it's absolutely heartbreaking. But to have finished fourth after five months of training, that's an incredible achievement. You know, that's just crazy, and and credit to you for that. So, I get what, what's the what's the mental process of that thinking like, I've only done five months of training here and I'm so close to being the best. Like you must take a lot, It's especially looking back, you must take a lot of confidence from that, knowing that, you know, on your day when you've got a real structured programme, you you're there at the top.
1: I think for me at, at the time, um, I think if you know what happened in London, that was painful. Um, hmm. it was a controversial fourth place, I should have won a medal um, and it was, out, it was out of my hands. Um, But I think having after Rio and kind of having that in my mind, the last four years leading up to Rio, I realized that actually, you know, over four years, you've only managed five months of training for you to get that close and you were denied by external factors, not, 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 not me. Um, it was actually an incredible feat in terms of pushing the disease to its limits. Um, and I think what I've done is, um, you know, when I got diagnosed, I did promise myself that it wouldn't be the reason that I'd retired, it would be the reason why I carried on. And I think that's why you know I, I was lucky that the team around me um, made me realise at the time that actually if we can just if they can just give me a consistent run at it, I'm gonna have a shot. But five months in elite sport is over four years is not is not, you know, young mm. models. Um so for me to to lift a medal winning weight in London, um, even though I got denied it was actually a, a true testament of um, of what my team did to get to get me there to be honest
0: yeah and i think you've hit the nail on the head there that you know the that's almost like the whole ethos that embodies paralympics gb is you know you you do absolutely everything and anything and you know whether it's 5 months or 5 years you will put everything on the line for the time that you've got and you know and and everyone in paralympics gb has that same sort of culture you know the, the fact that we just give absolutely everything and you know it's you know as you said earlier you're born with no legs and obviously that's not stopped you and getting Crohn's, that's not gonna stop you either. You know, as you said, it's not gonna be the reason you retire. And I think I think that's absolutely fantastic. You know, the fact that you can be such a positive role model and advocate, not only for you know, Paralympic athletes and people with disabilities, but also know people with Crohn's that don't understand maybe the capacity of their body can actually be pushed to because I mean as I said before you're lifting some serious weight you shift some serious serious
1: weight.
0: Are you just bench pressing the couch now at home? <laughs>
1: well luckily I've turned my living room to a gym um so the bench is actually my living room um but I'm, I'm not the uh I'm not the athlete of, of Rio, just to just say that. Mm,
0: and so if if you don't mind what was the the controversial factors in London that stopped you from winning a medal?
1: Oh, basically it was a, a refereeing, well, two refereeing decisions on the day that um, we I didn't agree with, um, and they weren't in context to other lifts given. Um, the, the, the lift that I should have gotten would have got me silver. Um, mm. and I only lost bronze on body weight because I was the heavier lifter, even though I lifted the same. Um, but I, I should have, I should have definitely. I've been given that that lift for for silver. Um They have changed the rules now after what happened that day. So actually, I have given oh well, because of me they've they've had to change it, uh, which is great. But uh, it doesn't really doesn't really give me give me back in the middle. So yeah. back in, back then I was bitter, but I think um yeah I think the sport has definitely moved on since since that day.
0: I think that's all, all we can ask for. You know, obviously people make mistakes, and and when human error comes into things you know as you said back then you were better I think totally understandable as any athlete would because the one thing we look for as athletes you know from from judges officials and, and whoever else is uh consistency and if that's not there you know obviously we kick up a proper fuss which I think we're entitled to do oh, um but yeah you know I, th- I think as you said you know it's, it's that's a real sign of maturity the fact you know you've, you can look back on it now and say it happened and I've moved on and I've adapted from it and do you know what you, you went on to achieve some great things, you know, and and twenty fifteen you had a wild winning streak, didn't you? You know, you, you got another gold medal this time at the European Championships in uh, in in Hungary. Um, so, what what came first, the Europeans or the or the worlds?
1: Um, so actually, it was actually the year after London, I managed to break the world record and be number one for the first time, um, and then after that was the World Championships. I broke the world record there again, and then the Commonwealth Games in the same year, and I broke the world record twice there. And then, obviously, I had like a four-three year period where I was I was actually unbeaten. Um, so actually, even though twenty twelve was upsetting, um, it really drove a well a, a period of probably my most successful period of my career. Um, probably my my purple patch, I think, because I've not gone anywhere near that since. So actually, I should have appreciated it more at the time. Because yeah. uh, at the time I thought, oh, actually I can get better, I can get better, but actually it's was, it was probably the best I'm ever going to be um, in the current circumstances. So looking back, it was probably my best uh, period.
0: Do you think Do you think that came about through the the sort of anguish and turmoil of how London turned out as an event?
1: Uh, yeah, but but also we've managed to put a team around me that um, kind of changed my whole life completely. So... Um, You know, my my lifestyle was changed. My my nutrition was changed. My medication, we managed to get me the best medication on the market at the time, which was new. Um, And everything kind of, my Crohn's was actually stable for the first time since I got diagnosed. So when you factor them in, and obviously the work rate that I go at, um, you're going to achieve good things potentially or give yourself a better chance to. Um, And and we did for, for, you know, for three and a half years. Um, And obviously, you know, going into Rio, having achieved every single major medal apart from that one um that was the one that i wanted the most um and luckily i came in i came away with the one medal that i missed out on four years previously
0: yeah and you know you spoke about the the team and, and and the work that that you put in you know, as and I think that's you know a lot of people think, especially you know as myself as a table tennis player, an individual sport. People assume that it's just us that do the work. You know, and I assume that's the assumption that you get as well. It's just you lifting, but it's not. There's a, this massive team involved. And how do you how do you train as a as a, as a power lifter?
1: Oh God! So so my sport is bench press, so I have to basically bench as much as possible. Um, but what, what we focus on is obviously bench press is the priority. But the big the big focus of strength training is don't get injured. You have to be in it to pretty much win it. So, um, you know, our focus is actually um, injury prevention, mm. making it re- robust and making you recover. Because obviously with, with strength training, is all about consistency as well and not being injured. So uh, for us, even though bench press is important, all the other aspects to actually keep you in there and keep you recovered and actually training is, is as important, probably more important than, than it is. So, um, and obviously factor in all the lifestyle that, changes that you have to make so nutritionally you have to be very very good because we're in a bodyweight sport and you're trying to change your body composition to make sure you lift that well lift as much as possible in that in that given bodyweight class um and it's, it's you know it's fine-tuning um everything in your life to, to make sure you achieve that so you know, there's a lot of factors to consider when you're trying to bench press nearly well on the verge of four times body at my best on the verge so
0: yeah that's that's incredible you know the fact that you, you can almost get four times your, uh, your your body weight i mean you've got a long sleeve jacket on tonight otherwise i'd say you know you need to show us the the monstrous uh, triceps that you're known for you know um i think that's oh, they're, sort
1: they're of the baby size now compared to, what it used
0: to be. <laughs> yeah compared to what it used to be they're still bigger than than your average joe um it's almost synonymous with the name ali why there's just massive triceps <laughs> yeah. but as as you know as you said it's all about injury prevention but you know you, you've had some serious injuries uh and your time and obviously if everything as you said is predominantly bench press you know um that's obviously your pectoral muscles at the front that you're working you've you've torn them a few times um what is that like that must be agony
1: it's weird because um before rio i didn't i wasn't injury prone and then after rio with my crone situation and the medication that i was on so the medication that i'm on is very catabolic, so the breakdown of muscle tissue. And obviously, as a powerlifter, you want to be in an anabolic state. So uh, having that medication meant that my like chances of ripping my pecs was going to be quite high if we weren't careful. And uh, yeah, I've ripped my pecs probably probably seven times in four years. Um, it's weird. It's not obviously like because my ma- my mate like my pain threshold is really high being a Crohn sufferer. I think a lot of Crohn sufferers will know the pain we go through daily. So. So actually, it doesn't actually hurt that much compared to Crohn's, but uh, I, I probably know why people say it hurts. I can with mm. people, but it's, yeah, it's, t- it's taking me a long time to find a way of training that can limit, can limit that. Uh, it's a fine, it's a fine line on a daily basis for me now.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you said, obviously Crohn's has had a massive impact on you. The fact that you're medication makes you more more prone to tearing down your muscles and the fact that you're lifting weights every day you're tearing those muscle fibers already so it's just it's just it's adding fuel to the fire isn't it and that's you know as someone that is looking to push those barriers every day it it must be incredibly difficult so you know you you touched earlier on the fact that you've lived in this almost Mm -hmm. lockdown bubble essentially for a few years because you've got to naturally be so careful you know so you've you've now got a home gym set up you've obviously adapted incredibly well. What is the support been like from the team around you? You know, because obviously have they just been dropping off weights and stuff at the house for you to assemble at home? Or, you know, have you just been like calling up companies and been like, look, can you help me out?
1: (laughs) No, so as a a team, we're very adaptable and we see things before they happen. So um, we always plan for worst case scenarios. Um, So the week before the first like lockdown, we knew pretty much the worst case it will be a lockdown. So what are we going to do to make sure that everyone's training and consistent and not obviously like, you know, suffer during a lockdown, to obviously not training. So what happened was, was that I was given all the equipment that I needed, um, converted my living room to a gym the week before and then bang, lockdown. So we were very, very lucky that we predicted it. And um, to be honest, I kind of needed it because the last four years have been inconsistent in terms of performances. In fact, like um, I'm, I'm probably i struggled to even make the games this year in terms of my actual form. Um, but what it allowed me to do was, was actually train consistently, lockdown, for the first time, and also make sure that my health was um, stable, because the last four years it hasn't been. Um, so actually, the lockdown's been kind to me in terms of my health and getting me to kind of re-establish my physical attributes that I had in Rio. Um, I'm not going to get to that sort of level, but um i can get halfway there and hope that i make the games in this new bodyweight class that i'm in now because i'm not in the 59 kilo class anymore
0: are you not have you sorry i didn't realize that what class are you in now
1: uh well, i have to drop well, i had to drop because of Crohn's, so i'm 50 54 now um but you know i dropped that i didn't want but Crohn's is dictating
0: mm. yeah sorry i didn't realize that you, you you've came down you know so that's again that's another factor that you know this this disease is obviously impacting you just just massively you know you you're, you're Obviously, in a much better position than you were when you first got diagnosed, but it's still having a massive impact. And I guess you know the the home setup does that. Does that impart sort of a, a safer environment? Because I guess you know you you don't have a spotter. There's no one there to catch the weight, so you might you've got to lift a weight that you know you can catch yourself. So I suppose there's more safety there. In fact, that you're hopefully not going to injure yourself by pushing too hard uh, in the gym. Well,
1: well no. So um, things I, I don't train for maximal weight, or well, I don't go to failure ever because of my pecs. So what mm. we do is we a device called Gym Aware that measures the velocity of the bar. So I'm, oh, I always have, no matter what, two reps in reserve, no matter what, because it means that I'm protected. I can still be stimulating my body in terms of getting better, but also thinking about speed rather than maximal strength on, on the bar or maximal weight on the bar. Um, so it actually worked pretty well, even though it's been frustrating at times because it's all about speed. Um, I don't know if I'm getting faster, I'm potentially getting stronger um, without actually hurting myself, Touchwood.
0: Yeah, hopefully that's the last thing we want is, uh, is any more injuries. Um, so obviously, you know, you're know, you an incredibly established athlete. You've won almost everything there is to win, but you're you're also a bit of a brain box. You've got a good head on your shoulders. You're studying a PhD uh, in anti-doping and Paralympic sport. Tell us about that, because that's such a niche market.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think all my career, I've always been interested in anti-doping. Um, but actually, what I've found is that the power side of it, the voice is is lost. Uh, mm. For me, I still think that um, when it comes to anti-doping and the practices of protecting athletes at the Paralympic Games, it needs to be addressed more. Um, what I mean by that is, I feel like. Anti-doping at the moment, everybody thinks about substances, don't they? They think about banned substances and drugs. But actually, at the Paralympic Games, the biggest threat to the Games itself is actually classification um, and, and boosting as well. Um, and I felt that these two practices are under-researched compared to substances. And, um, well, it's my opinion, but my opinion, um, I, I would like both of them to be in the water code. Um, Mm. I feel like it adds a little bit of protection to para-athletes and also it uh, it gives a lot of respect to para-sport that we are competitive and it's the second biggest sporting event on the planet and it deserves that sort of respect and athletes deserve to be protected even more because at the moment, even though there's no optimal classification system, adding that layer of protection in the code could be deterrent for people that want to manipulate their classification, potentially. But I need to find that. Out. I'll see what the data says.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that's such an incredible point you've made. You know, every, everyone does think, yeah, you know, antidoping, to all drugs and substances, but you know, the the right classification in Paralympic sport is the difference between being the best in the world and, and being average.
1: Yeah, being last, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, the right classification that I, I would never even think of that in terms of. Obviously, it's it's it's. T- I wouldn't say it's a doping issue, I know what you mean, but it's it's, it's having that protection and having that fallback. That's that's incredible. What, what do you mean by boosting, though?
1: So, um, basically, athletes with spinal cord injuries um, can potentially um, self-inflict, um, kind of self-harm, basically, um, to kind of um, increase their blood pressure, which has been seen to increased performance um, in in, like wheelchair racing athletes, middle distance and long distance, um, which means that, and at the moment, um, the blood pressure test is what's used. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's been kind of, well, no athletes ever tested positive for it, even though we know it goes on. um, There's not enough research out there to suggest actually what's the prevalence rate uh, and I'm gonna look into the prevalence of both classification and boosting in sport, and to uh, actually get numbers that could help inform the system to potentially put some uh, uh, you know a framework in place that protects athletes. it doesn't have to be in the water code, but it might help them come up with a way of of strengthening that that you know the sanctions or the deterrent effect. Um and it's not about being controversial just asking the question can we protect these athletes even more than we are doing now and I think there's a long way to go before we we get that
0: yeah and I think that that comes under you know the whole WADA ethos of clean sport you know and it's it's the fact that sport is is the exact same for everyone yeah. you know um and I, I totally agree with that message because ultimately you know as as athletes we use sport as a leveller. You know, that's what we do. It doesn't matter that we're disabled. It doesn't matter where we're from or what we've done in the past. Sport is a leveller. And I think, you know, it's really great that if, you know, you're trying to push for that and make sure that it is as level and as clean as it possibly can be. You know, and then um, speaking of sport, you don't always make good decisions because rumor has it you're a big Liverpool fan. Oh, massive. Um, if
1: yes. I had legs, I want to play for them.
0: <laughs> you know what? There was a time a few years ago you probably could have got a game without them. Yeah, I know, yeah. Oh. Doing pretty well at the moment. I'm, I'm a United fan myself, so you know, I'm surprised we're getting on this well.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Well, ho- hopefully uh, next, is it next Tuesday.
0: <laughs> Big game, yeah. You yeah?
1: can give me a good birthday present. Come on, Burnley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so speaking of sport, you have launched this incredible new website called Size. I'm going to stop talking about it and let you take over here because this is fantastic.
1: Right. So um, I've grown up in gyms all my life. Uh, so I've been quite lucky that I've had the best facilities that anybody could probably want being on the top level of sport. But when I started, I actually was in a very, very rough, you know, spit and sawdust sort of gym. And I felt like, oh, I'm the only disabled person here. Why is that? I didn't really think about it um, kind of growing up. Because um, then, you know, GB took me and then suddenly I was in these incredible facilities and everybody really thought about it. But in lockdown, I felt like uh, I actually had a dream. Uh, I don't know why, just I just dreamt it. And I thought, wait a minute, why? Why is there such barriers for? Because I think for me, the biggest barrier for me is normal, everyday disabled people that don't want to be a Paralympian. And Paralympians, there's a huge barrier there because when it comes to exercise, the access that the community has compared to para athletes is nowhere near. What a normal disabled person has, the access is terrible. And I thought, how can I bridge that gap and how can I make it better? And I thought to myself, well, we know that tech's a big thing at the moment. Um, and I thought, what could be the best way to give the disabled community access to exercise like they've never seen before? So I thought, so I did some research because I, I, I thought, Ali, don't be stupid. There's somebody's done this before. Like, come on, you're not you're not that smart. Um, um, and I actually, did some research and I found out actually there is no fitness app on the market for disabled people, like specifically for disabled people. Mm. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. Um, so I decided to invest all my life savings because I'm silly. I'm not, you know, and uh, and I believe in it, and uh, I've decided to. Launch a uh, the, the well. I think it's the first ever kind of fitness app for disabled people um, to give them access to exercise that they've never seen before, and hoping it kind of empowers them to do their own, um, you know, exercises and workouts without relying on a able-bodied PT that has no clue. Um, and the big thing about the app, which I'm really proud of, is that not only would it build a community, but it will have a rating scale for gyms an accessibility rating scale where if we can get enough data and go to the government and go look gyms when it comes to equipment they're not accessible yes the building is fine but the law and the policy has to change so gyms have to have some sort of adaptive equipment for disability users that's the only way you're going to attract disabled people to gyms and that's the way to do it so hoping that people come on board use the rating scale and like Critique, critique it because uh, I want it to be the best app possible. Like, be as harsh as you want. Basically, give me as much feedback as you want. So that's that's the uh, that's what I, I hope you want in the future.
0: That's absolutely incredible, you know. And I think it's as you said, it's so easy for businesses to say, yep, yeah, we are a totally accessible facility," but that's only because they've got a ramp and oh. a, a, and a shower changing room. You know, like whether it's got a wider door.
1: Well, for, for example, um, I'm lucky that. Now, I've only got no legs, so I can. I've got full like function of everything else, so I can get off the chair, I can jump on seats and you know, machines and stuff. But if I was paralyzed and I wanted to use the seated row, but it was too high, I need somebody to lift me.
0: Yeah,
1: we need swing away equipment that every gym has. That it, it like that has to be like the one thing that when it comes to accessibility, it's good enough going into a facility like into a you know, a building, but. It's another step where is that equipment accessible to that person if not then what's the point of them being in the building in the first place It's it's
0: exactly and if it's accessible for people like ourselves it's accessible for everyone.
1: everyone yeah so i'm hoping that if gyms start looking at the rate their rating scale and go actually we've scored quite low here we need to do something i'm hoping that does it not only does it drive the gyms but it actually might get Um, the fitness industry to actually create disability-specific PT courses to actually train more disabled PTs because we know that disabled people, there's loads of different disabilities, everyone's got different problems, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. So the PT qualifications have to be as specific as possible. So training those with disabled PTs could potentially help that knowledge grow. And that's what I want to do with the app. I want to kind of work with the fitness industry to, to make sure that happens.
0: Yeah, that that I mean that is that is incredible. We work with obviously, you know, a great S and C program here at the English Institute of Sport. Yeah. And we always have, as I'm sure you'll have as well, you have interns in and you know, they're trying to learn from the best coaches that we have on offer. And they they always say to us, Wow, we never get taught anything like that. And it's all about, you know, it's the adaptability. It's making a program work for an athlete that has limb impairment, spinal cord injury, you know, uh, muscular impairment and it's just finding little ways that you actually don't need to change the world you just need to change one little aspect of it and you're working the same muscles you're getting the same results but you're just not taught it you know and as you said you want to change that fitness industry and you know what you've got my full support that's amazing
1: thank you it's going to be a big job um i I keep saying to that i speak to like when it's launched it's not going to be the optimal app but we have to start from somewhere um because obviously i'm not a disability expert for every disability um being a Paralympian doesn't mean i'm an expert but it means that i can use my platform to hopefully get people on board that do know their stuff and we can make the app as good as possible with all the feedback that we get so that's why it's really important when it is launched people are patient with me and that they give me as much feedback as possible of what they want to see in it because it's for them it's not for me like it's their app so i want it to be as good as possible going forward
0: exactly you know you've got all, all access to you know any equipment any pts anything any structured program you could ever want being in the in the paralympic setup but as you said it's for the people that don't have that the people that may may never have worked out or it may have been a massive gym goer and then had some you know accident or injury that's resulted in them obviously now having a disability and you see them often fall away from from just a gym and a healthy lifestyle because it's that lack of access and you know i love the honesty that you're saying, look, this isn't going to be the best out of the blocks because it's it's something fresh, it's something new. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win the lottery with it straight away. You need to you need to work on it. And I love that honesty in the fact that you're putting yourself out there and saying, look, tell me where I'm going wrong so we can make it right. You know, that's fantastic. And I think that's something that you would have got just from being an elite athlete as it is because we we take criticism all the time because we want oh, to improve.
1: Athlete. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And the fact that you can put that and critique your own app, you know, and something that, that's got your name on it, is as, as, as a massive learning curve for, for, you know, your development of the app and how we can improve accessibility to gyms in the future.
1: Well, I've, I've, um, I've been quite harsh on myself with the app in terms of all the functions and what I want in it um, and what I think is important for the community. Um, so there'll be a nutrition element in, in there as well. There'll still be um, disability cooking. So we're gonna teach people how to cook um and why food is amazing
0: um
1: we're also going to have you can also like with a group with a kind of community se- section to it you get to kind of like communicate and train um with other impairments so you can arrange to meet up at a gym and train together because obviously we know that going to the gym by yourself is actually quite intimidating but having a group there would like you know would be quite good um so like i'm trying to think outside the box and not as an elite athlete as somebody that's in the community i've tried to do everything i can but obviously when it is launched i'm not going to know everything so that's why it's important that i get as much feedback as possible but we have got a focus group um that are kind of kind of critiquing it uh but luckily for me they've they've not actually smashed me to bits yet which means i've actually done all right but i have told them (laughs) i have have told them to actually be more critical so we'll see
0: yeah brilliant and so what is the the hopeful launch date
1: well, um, the new lockdown. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. So, so the, the, new, the new lockdown means that we've had to delay because obviously filming for the app means that we can't film now at gyms. Um, so we're hoping for we're hoping summer. Um, we've not set a date yet because we know the uh, uncertainties around everything at the moment. Um, but but yeah, my hope is the summer because I'd, I'd like to get it done then. But I what but I'm not going to release something that I think is subpar if it means we have to delay it to make it good, um, then we'll delay it. Uh, it's important that we get a good product out there rather than a substandard one. Uh, we just have to adapt to the COVID situation, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, as you said, you're open to all that feedback, but still, come launch, you want it to be as, as close to perfect as possible. And then, you know, people can obviously write in and say, look, Ali, sort yourself out. This is rubbish. We need a better. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Throw some legs. Come on. <laughs>
0: i love that this is the we were chatting about this today in the gym this is stuff that no one else could ever get away with saying you know um like stuff in the gym like because obviously no hands one leg myself and uh one of the boys in the wheelchair like jack is just like come on when are you going to grow some hands and lift that weight and i'm like oh yeah very good and the snc coach is just in the corner like shaking his head like oh my like it's just stuff you don't get away with in able worried sport you know it's, it's that paralympic uh that that sort of banter level in, in Paralympic sport it's almost like it's it's a one-up game of who's who's the more disabled yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant i absolutely love it you I, know I love, and, I,
1: love, I love humor so for me it's um all about all about laughing
0: yeah and i think you know if if you can't laugh at yourself then oh, you know you yeah. got some serious issues you know and is, is is that something that so what was that like growing up then because you grew up in tottenham didn't you um what was it like growing up in tottenham with no legs
1: to be honest, it's, it's weird looking back at it now. I'm like, wow, all them health and safety issues. <laughs> um so like so my my parents when when I came over, um, they were kind of encouraged to take me to a special needs school at the time. Mm. Um and obviously back then, you know, the, you know, the early 90s, you know, disability wasn't seen as it is now. So they were they were adamant that actually I've got a brain. Um, even though I was disabled, they thought that. I needed to adapt to later life, so what's the best way to make him adapt? So they, made, they took me to the roughest school imaginable, and with no facilities, so no lifts, no ramps, and they go right here. You go adapt to it every day. This is going to be your norm because if you can do it now, when you're growing up, you think it's normal. So when you grow up, you can tackle anything. So I went to a mainstream school with no facilities, and I absolutely loved it. Like I was never bullied. I was always in the popular group. Um, and actually, like, it's weird, like, it made me love sport as well. Even though it was so, like, the school was so rough, um, I've done pretty well out of it. So I was quite lucky in that sense that, um, you know, I found my calling uh, at the school. Because
0: mm, you, found, you found powerlifting quite early then, you're 16?
1: Yeah. yeah, I did judo for four years. Uh, and then it was the gym across the road where I got found. Um, and then, yeah, here, here I am yeah
0: Mm. so someone told me you dabbled in table tennis for a bit
1: yeah so um i retired from powerlifting after my diagnosis um because i tried to come back didn't work and i thought right how can i still make the games but not it being so physically demanding on my body in the way that um powerlifting is with my Crohn's? so i had to think about a a skill-based sport and i'm not very skillful by the way
0: Uh, careful what you say by the way remember you're just careful what you're going to say with table tennis
1: (laughs) no i'm not very skillful so when i when i uh i think in in london there was a club in london and um they actually offered to kind of i can go there for free if i wanted and they'll kind of see what i've got um and what you said what what you said to me was was like it's going to take you about 10 years to get to the games that's that's the average it's like it's like powerlifting. It's going to take you at least seven to ten years to make it. Um, even though physically it's not as demanding as powerlifting, the skill level is insane. And obviously, yeah. when I tried it, I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is insane!" Like, I can't. I, can't, I, I think I did it for six weeks. Um, I, went, I, went, I went every day because I thought I'm going yeah. to do this guy wrong, and he's like, "Well, you're good, but it's just it's still going to take ten years." And I was like, "Oh, yeah. god." So yeah, I decided that table tennis wasn't my thing. because I'm not skillful. Um, and I thought, right, let's have another crack up, how of things, see if I can make it. And luckily, um, I, I managed it, but yeah, table tennis is hard. Uh, just the skill levels are insane. So I respect you guys.
0: Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's the whole podcast there. Table tennis is hard. Finished. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, you know, speaking of trying to make it and, and and make it back to the top, what is the Tokyo situation for yourself?
1: Well, it's been a roller coaster since Rio. So um, after Rio, I had the worst flare-up of of my life, basically. Um, We tried loads of different medications for 18 months. I didn't compete for 18 months. Very sick. Um, And it got to a point where um, I had two options on the table. One was a stem cell trial, which lasted a year. Uh, But in that process, I required quite aggressive chemotherapy, which meant that there was no comeback. Um, and the other option was a stoma bag. Um, also, no comeback. Because at the level that I'm at, there's no way you can have a stoma bag and lift what I have to lift safely. So I had to retire with both options. Um, so I went away and I thought, oh, am I ready to retire? Um, can I kind of look at myself in the mirror and go, actually, you've sat, you're satisfied that you've achieved some incredible things with Crohn's and it's probably to walk. Away, it's better to walk away now and focus on your health and I felt actually remember what I said when I was 19 to yourself you said that Crohn's would not be the reason why you retired it would be the reason why you carried on and I thought that I couldn't let that 19 year old self down um, he would be telling me off so I decided to take a route that has never been done before at this level um in a way that it was perceived at the time to be the more riskier option um but actually now actually my only option which is great I've actually I was right but that came with a lot of challenges in terms of ha- had to kind of indirectly isolate myself quite often because of the the risk of me getting sick just normally but then the medication being so um so bad for the body in terms of the recovery um the fatigue the kind of obviously the catabolic nature of it the challenges that's thrown at me has been absolutely insane I've had to adapt on a daily basis so I'm literally fighting on a daily basis just to get through it in terms of what the medications are throwing at me. Um, but actually, with, as a team, um, you know, they have been incredible in terms of trying to monitor it in such a way that we can potentially predict what's coming and get ready for it. And I, and I knew that the progress was going to be very, very slow. And I knew that um, potentially i probably weren't going to make Tokyo potentially. So that the, the delay for a year massively helped me. Like that, that was... I was never going to make it last year at all. Um, and I'm still now kind of in a situation where I'm still in an automatic place but my place is not safe and I'm probably not strong enough to defend it if somebody overtook me um, at the moment. Uh, I compete in 10 weeks in Manchester and I'm hoping that I can pull something out of the bag and actually cement that place and um, it means that I can actually focus on Tokyo rather than having to wait till the last minute to qualify.
0: Yeah, and so if you go out and you know, say you have a, a, a great successful event in Manchester, that's your ticket. You're on the plane.
1: Um, well, the, the, obviously, like you can't guarantee it, but we know that if you lift a certain weight in a bodyweight class, historically, you're more likely yeah. to qualify. It's just like it's just like it's like that. Yeah. So if I if I manage to get a weight that I think will guarantee, mm, then, well, yeah. then I don't have to risk flying to Dubai in June for the last event. Because obviously I'm trying to limit my flight because of my health risk. So for me, Manchester for me is u- optimal because it's actually national. Um, it, it's an international event, but it's obviously in Manchester. So it's quite easy to have to fly. Um, I'm so I'm hoping I can nail it there and just go, right, okay, you've done it now. Tip box. You don't have to fly anywhere. Now let's just focus on getting there to Tokyo safely. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's With me anyway, there's a, there's a long way to go with me.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Um... Ali, I just want to thank you so much. You know that's been an incredible whirlwind tour of your your life, your career, the things you've achieved. Obviously, battling with Crohn's and and being such an advocate for showing what you can do. Um, and I just as you know, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on this episode. You've been absolutely fantastic, and you know I wish you all the best. in, uh, in ten weeks' time in Manchester, thank you. I'll uh, I'll certainly be keeping an eye out, and you know hopefully. Um, once this is all over, you know, it, it, it'd be great, you know, qualification permitting for both of us, if we could sit together in Tokyo and, and, uh, and, and, have a proper chat, that'd be fantastic. But until then, just may all the best. You've been absolutely incredible. And, you know, you're such a great, um, embodiment of what Paralympic sport is and, and what it takes to get to the top.
1: No, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: No, thank you. Um, so what's going to happen with uh, the- Peripod is proudly powered by the Turmeric Co. The Turmeric Co's products are quickly becoming the gold standard for individuals who are searching for products that can positively impact their holistic health with each ingredient selected offering extraordinary nutritional value. From the moment of launch, the Turmeric Co's primary goal was to help fulfill the lives of its customers through high quality, effective, yet natural turmeric-based shots. A range of proprietary blends in a shot format offers a convenient solution for people using turmeric as a regular part of their nutrition, no powders and no low-quality filler ingredients such as apple juice or water. Only premium, raw and absorbable turmeric root is used in every shot, with a combination of other superfood ingredients making the range an effective yet delicious option for people to support their daily health through natural nutrition. If you want to see these benefits for yourself, use code PERRY10 at checkout for 10% off, Also, don't forget to hit like and subscribe to hear more episodes of Peripod.